I am Doug Friedman, and you are about to hear me with a good friend and colleague, Jen Parkford, who is in the process of becoming a licensed therapist and already is a pretty decent human being. <laughs> I don't know. You guys can decide that as we go. <laughs> we'll um, see. Right? TBD. Yeah. Uh, we are jumping into the next season of Drew. And to let you guys know, the last three sessions I had with him, the audio just crapped out, broke. The good news is he got a new laptop in a couple of sessions from now. The bad news is three sessions are just lost in the ether, but that means I get to give you a little wrap up and Jen, you can hear some of this. You've been listening to some of the podcasts too. So, you know, you know, Drew, you guys go way back. Old friends. Right. So where we were in the last few sessions was he started really looking at attachment in relationships and we got to abandonment at the core of it. We talked about it in terms of the, the feather and brick analogy, the things that come our way. And, and for him, how he was talking about it was recognizing that there were a lot of disproportionate responses in his relationship. His girlfriend would give him a, a feather type of, of stressor and he would like lose it, right? Or vice versa. And he was like, whoa, what's going on? Why is there such a huge response? It doesn't match what's going on. So he got to look at, right, we're just triggering each other. These are triggers. And we've, we've got to talk about these things. And for him, because we're in therapy, it's what we do. We realized that a big trigger for him was, oh, abandonment, mm -hmm. right? And it's it sort of has historically created that need in him to explain everything to somebody, to make sure that he's not going to be abandoned, that his mom wouldn't end her life, that his girlfriend wouldn't leave him. So he would try to explain everything that's going on all the time to guard against that. And it was too much. He couldn't do that. And his partners were driven away by that. So he's starting to learn this and starting to kind of feel a sense of comfort in being himself in a relationship. Mm -hmm. But that old guard is still there. Yeah. And you said, uh, I remember in that episode about the feathers and bricks, about figuring out which things in that bag are his to, to sort of carry, right? How much totally. of it is uh, things that don't belong there or rather that he doesn't need to be carrying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And he, he carries so much of it. He carries it even when he's not getting those feathers or bricks. Like for him, he told a beautiful story about his blankie when he was a kid. And one day his mom ran the blankie through the laundry. And, oh uh -huh, no, uh -huh. that's bad. <laughs> it, it was really bad because it got shredded and ruined. And oh. I, he had two things happen. One was he got mad at mom because she did this. And the other was, if I'm not there doing it myself, if I'm not being hypervigilant about something, something horrible is going to happen. Yep. And that just kept getting reinforced. And he was saying, but hey, in my relationship now, I'm fine. I don't have that. And I called absolute bullshit on that. And he got it and was like, oh, right. I'm treating her like my blankie. I can't let her out of my sight. And the, I don't know if you heard the one episode a while back where she was assaulted down where she lives and he wasn't there. And it was like two or three in the morning when she called him for help and he dropped everything to go rescue and go into that mode. So it reinforced mm -hmm. something bad is going to happen if I'm not there. If you're not hypervigilant, you'll miss something. Exactly. Exactly. So he's seeing where that comes from and he's trying to work against that and kind of see like, wait, okay, maybe I could be okay in the relationship. And maybe part of that is I don't have to tell my girlfriend everything and the whole story. I can just give her like the highlights or say what I'm feeling without explaining where it comes from and why it's there. And why this feather has created such a huge reaction. I don't have to go into all that. So he's, he's learning some of that and feeling a lot more confident in that. And I think that for him plays into one of his big values of vulnerability. So it's learning that level of vulnerability in the relationship. And that's something that we kind of kick off what we're talking about in the session you guys are about to hear. So here we go. Sit back, relax, or don't. Be anxious and tense. And we will be back with you to break it down in a little bit. The, the overall release that I felt was my fear wasn't that bad. You know, like, I'm okay. And 
and I'm a lot more confident I am now versus letting my boundaries go and being whoever she wants me to be so that I don't lose it. The things left unsaid, that can create such anxiety and such turmoil for us that when I get to say them and I get to bring them out, not run from them, it's an extension of when we talk about double down, don't shut down. When I can actually have a conversation, you used to say that a lot, like, just talk to me, talk to me. I think a, a part of where you're progressing is in a relationship, when something comes up, even if it's one of your fears or insecurities, I want to talk about it. So to just be able to bring it out of darkness and put some light on it and say, here's this thing. I, I don't want this to be the big thing we can't talk about. Right. I think I, I think there's a lot of fear in the unknown of the conversation with me and girlfriend. This last weekend has really allowed me to take a step back from the fear of, of losing her completely. And I realized that, hey, I would rather tell you how I'm feeling and put it all out there. And if you don't want it, that's okay. Like, I'm okay with that. I don't want to facade or fake or not say how I'm feeling. And we said what we both wanted exactly the same way. We just had never, we were both afraid to be able to take that conversation to that level. I love that because you're, you're talking about being vulnerable and authentic in a relationship. And so many times we bend that because we're trying to do what we think the other person wants. And we, we move further and further away from how we really are and how we really want to be. And the conversation that you guys just had, bringing everything into light, gives you an opportunity to each be authentic and show up. Then when you're authentically showing up, you can decide whether or not you're a good match. And I think you're just really becoming who you want to be authentically and letting that come out in different areas. Yeah. And I think this, uh, this last weekend kind of felt like it was like a proving ground for all the work we put in for the last like, like year and a half. It was the first time in my entire life I was able to explain my feelings and not have her be like, well, this is how you fix it. This is what we're going to do. It was like, hey, listen, like, I feel really guilty not going home now after I told my mom. If anything, if anything happens to her, I feel like it's going to be my fault. And on the other end, if I don't spend time with you, I feel like you feel like I don't want to be there now. It was just an open conversation of how I was feeling. And, and then that allowed me to be like, oh, well, what do I want to do now? Yeah, not about being a good son or pleasing her. But what, what am I really feeling right now? It's not that she gave me the confidence, but I felt the confidence in myself right then of saying, hey, these are my boundaries and this is why I feel the way I feel. She heard me when I, I was saying it. Whether or not she heard you, how was it to actually say it and recognize that, hey, I can have a boundary here. Hey, I can say what I really want. I think it felt really good. I think it's a double-sided sword of the way I felt. It was kind of bouncing back and forth of trying to really get her to understand how I was feeling in that moment. Other end of it, we felt in the confidence of not saying my mom tried to commit suicide every time this year or this time of the year and, and I need to go so I can take care. It wasn't like that. It was what I wanted to say to her. It sounds like the narrative around October in Seattle is shifting for you. It is. And that conversation with her now led me, my mom, my mom's my mom. I felt so confident in that last conversation. I was like, hey, mom, listen, me and girlfriend are seeing each other again. I would like to stay down here, I think, for Thanksgiving. I will see you for Christmas. I, I, I'm still trying to plan it out on my end, but I just want you to know that I love you and I do want to see you. And, and she was like, I understand. Like, don't feel pressure, like no worries. Hmm. And so it really made me feel confident. Kind of going back to my brother's bachelor party or his wedding, I felt obligated to be there. And now I feel so, I have so much choice, like good choice. Either way I go, I know the other side of the party will be okay with it. I don't feel like I'm going to let somebody down so bad now that I have to go the other way. And I want to just separate that little piece out that the other party is going to be okay with it. They might not be. And we've talked about that too, like it being okay that somebody might be disappointed or disagree or be angry. They can feel that. So it, it didn't depend on mom being okay with it. 
she could have said, oh, really? I was really looking forward to you being here for the whole time through the holidays, just you. And I mean, is there any way that we can do that? Oh, and you're smiling. Why? That shit's funny to me at this point. I almost see it as a game now. I'm not quite falling into that. Because she did say something along the lines of like, because I didn't text her back right away. She's like, hey, let me know what your plans are for Thanksgiving. And so I waited an hour and she texted me back. She's like, don't, no pressure. And I was like, well, that's pressure. Like you, you retexted me saying no pressure. And so right. it was a little bit later in the evening when I actually called her back and, and had that conversation with her. And, and, and then it went really good. So part of the old narrative was, I cannot disappoint my mom. If I do disappoint my mom, the consequences are catastrophic and I will never forgive myself. Doesn't sound like it's as true right now. No, and, and I think that goes across girlfriend, my dad, my brother, my work, my everything. And, you know, next week might be completely different. I'm not sure. <laughs> right. I, I've been living in a confident way in, in what makes me feel good. And now I feel like that pendulum's coming back into that gray space of now I'm allowing myself to be vulnerable again and open up and be there for people in a way I was before. And I really overstepped my own line. And now that I'm kind of figuring out where that boundary line is, I'm finding a lot more confidence and security in myself of knowing what I'm doing is right for myself. And, and maybe I don't make the right decision every time. And like, that's okay. Sure. It's trial and error. And I feel like I'm trial and erroring in the right spaces now. Yeah. There's something about this too that I hear, which is really being able to do this for me. And we talked about being the son you want to be. It's really coming into a strength of your own. Something you said to me from day one of us a year and a half ago, vulnerability. Your strength comes from your vulnerability and comes from, I would say, the risk of disappointing somebody, the risk of it might not go well, I don't know. But the gain is authenticity and, and being the son you really want to be, because that's the person you really want to be. Your MO back then, not just the choice obligation that we talked about, but you were really about pleasing everybody else. And that was pleasing to you. And it wasn't even when they're happy, I'm happy. It's when they're not disappointed, I'm okay. If they are disappointed, I'm not okay. I was okay when they weren't disappointed, but I was never really happy. That makes sense. And that's kind of how I took it. I was never genuinely happy when they weren't disappointed, but my, my spectrum never hit that, that happy skill until recently, you know, a lot of years or so. Hmm. How do you see it now? I guess example is the best way to, to describe how I am right now and how I'm feeling. We were at the Grove in the market. I sat back and people were walking by, smiling, waving, and like just being in a community. You don't understand how long I've waited for this feeling right here. And going back to the, there's no good people in LA. I can't find friends. I can't do this. I can't do that. I realized like we were just sitting there in public and it felt so good to just smile at people. I was genuinely happy just to be. There was nothing there other than just being happy that I was around people. Yeah. I think a function of that comes from you feeling more secure or authentic in yourself. You feeling more comfortable, maybe even confident in yourself. So I can be at the Grove or wherever in an open space and really feeling like I'm good. And it's not about like, can I connect with somebody? Can I have a real connect? It's just feeling a sense of community. I would even say maybe it's a sense of belonging and belonging by virtue of I'm comfortable with who and how I am, as opposed to being out somewhere, seeing everybody and feeling like an outsider. Right. And that's exactly how I felt. It's almost like a lonely feeling. There's all these people around, but I have my head in my phone and I'm usually pretty stoned and I really want to stay inside my own little space. Almost out of fear, I think my pendulum was so far one way of becoming this good Christian guy that I try to like literally knock every X off the chart thing that I'm, that I'm realizing right now and I might be completely wrong. But she really isolated me in the sense of if you talk to another girl, you're cheating. If you look at another girl, you're cheating. If you even think about another girl, you're cheating. That was really solidified in me for so long 
of understanding what relationships can look like, not in the sense of everybody wants everything from me all the time, but I can still have friends in bases where I'm not intimate with them. But I've been so afraid just to be vulnerable and myself in front of a female. And so that worry has been such a devastating thing to me because I always figured if I did that, I'd lose. I feel so confident in where I'm at in seeing other people, in relations with my friends, with family. I, I talked to brother for a couple hours the other day. Oh, wow. And he'll be back in a couple of weeks and he'll send me pictures and stuff. Good conversation. So I was like, hey, I'd love to come see you get in. It made me really feel good that my brother was using his time to talk to me. I love that. Like, I, I really love that. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're describing is exactly what you envisioned and why you wanted to go to the wedding so that I can have a relationship with my full family at some point for probably right about 10 months. And there you are having that kind of relationship with your family, which is great. I want to circle back to the idea that you were talking about where you can't talk to other women. It's something that will put the fear of abandonment in us. So we definitely won't do that. And we will compromise ourselves. We will change ourselves so that we're not abandoned. So they won't be disappointed. It's entirely a projection of their fear onto us. Because I've talked to her girlfriend about this too. And you know, our, our kind of rule, our, our rule of thumb, our boundary line for each other is, yeah, you can go hang out with whoever you want. Like, I really don't care but nobody you slept with before. Because I, I just see that differently. Kind of like our guideline, not a rule, but it, it makes us both feel comfortable and we're okay with that. And that's new for me. You know, that's like the last week or two of experiencing what that looks like. And it feels really good because I can talk to girls now and not feel like doing something wrong intentionally or, or even that thrill, that thrill of doing something sneaky was almost like a turn on. And so, like, it almost put me in a bad headspace already. And so now that I can wipe that out and be honest about where I'm at with girlfriend, it's really allowed me to look at women differently almost. I realized that I've been so afraid of how she felt about me talking to girls that I just didn't have freedom of, I know where you're at. I know where I'm at. We're on the same page. Cool. Like, cool. I like that you're hitting these two things and you're, you're seeing how it plays for you because there's, there's an older version of you that didn't give yourself permission. And when you give yourself permission, then it's easier to give someone else permission. But when you're waiting for someone else to give you permission, you're still holding on to it. It was a projection of the other person's insecurities and fears. And for you, a lot of your insecurity and fear is around trust. As you're going through all this stuff, I think part of why it felt like a release is because now you're talking about it and the, the trust thing, your projection of, of having an issue there, you're actually now talking with her about it. And it's not that she can't talk to another guy and you can't talk to another girl. It's that you're telling each other. It's that it's okay. And some of the things that you guys navigate and agree upon, like, cool, you're talking about that, navigating that, right? That's where trust comes because we can talk about it. I think that's my projection of my fears too, of just having the conversation. So that, that idea of talking about it, number one, bringing it out in the open and really giving yourself permission to be you. We just needed to have the conversation so like I could hear her say it and she could hear me say it. And though I was thinking it, she was thinking it, we we're all on the same page. We just didn't say it. And I think that really allowed me to find a lot more confidence in myself and be okay with her. If she left, I would still feel how I'm feeling right now. I don't feel better because she's back. I feel better because I allowed myself to feel what I needed to feel and go through this way I wanted to go through it. And I feel very, very secure with the conversations we had, how we had those conversations, and the outcome. Yeah, it's great. I love hearing that because it really is about you being authentic, bringing yourself to the table. I mean, you've been the guy that hasn't gone to church because it wasn't okay in your relationship. Like, well, well, I'm missing that. Hasn't gone to museums because it wasn't okay in the relationship, so I didn't. That would go out all the time partying. Like, well, I don't like that either. What you're becoming is yourself. And the and look at that smile. 
and it's giving yourself permission to be yourself. Then if somebody's cool with you that way, great. If they're not, okay. That's why I think you were able to just hang out at the Grove and see people and feel a sense of community there. Because I'm myself, I'm good. I don't need anybody to come talk to me and connect with me. Like I'm good just being here and being a part of this. So the other last really big thing, and it was a small moment, but it was a really big thing for me. So I've been working on the streetwear brand for probably six months now. It's been a long time coming. And so we just started printing our first t-shirts. I kind of just took a step back and looked at what was going on. I was sitting there, me and my homeboy. This is one of my guys in my industry that like, it's almost a father figure, more of an uncle family though. And so we're sitting there doing our thing, having a good time. And I was like, dude, this is everything I've been wanting to do. I'm doing it. I'm literally doing it. And it was a really cool kind of feeling to take a step back. Because when I first moved down here, the whole goal with work and career was to work with my family. And to kind of take a step back in that moment and realize I'm doing exactly what I wanted to be doing. I mean, it really gave me goosebumps. I was just so happy with doing something that made me happy with the people that I want to be doing it with. Just feeling-wise, in that moment was just incredible. Oh, man. I love hearing that. You're actually being who and how you want to be. Part of it's a function of having done so much, but it's not in the act of doing that you're experiencing this. It's in the act of stepping back and reflecting and realizing how you're being. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm going back tonight. And we are back. Vulnerability, authenticity, big words here that came up for me. Mm -hmm. One of the first things that I thought of, and I swear I'm not this type of person or therapist, but I immediately thought of multiple quotes Mm. that like this session reminded me of, but throughout the session, I wrote down different quotes, which is so unlike me. Really? But the first one I thought of was not a quote, it's the title of a book, which I guess is a quote. (laughs) That book about David Foster Wallace. Oh, yeah. Although, of course, you end up becoming yourself. Oh, love that. Right. Yeah. And I think that this reminded me of that because it's about settling into yourself. And I think that the things left unsaid, which is where you sort of you start at the top of it and becoming authentic with your partner sort of was how it starts. And I don't know. I'm wondering, like... I don't know enough about this relationship, but but it made me wonder what you just said in the recap, how much of what we tell our partners is out of wanting to be vulnerable and how much mm. is out of fear or hypervigilance sure. of if I tell you everything, then there's nothing left unsaid. And if there's nothing right. left unsaid, then you can't ever leave me because you know everything. Right. And the reverse of that, if I know everything about you, mm-hmm. then I'm safe. But if there's something I don't know, the unknown, oh, that's scary and you might leave me. So I need to know everything. Hypervigilance for sure, because Drew has talked a lot about codependency and mm-hmm. I I know a lot about codependency. I sort of <laughs> right? uh, especially tuned with it myself and how especially being a kid in a situation where hypervigilance is not only instilled, but like necessary. Right. 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 Uh, children of alcoholics or children in in traumatic environments or having parents that are unpredictable. Right. If you have someone unpredictable, then it serves you to be hypervigilant because then you can try to avoid the nothing will take you by surprise. Right. You know, you're and that's that's when Drew and I used to talk about the uh we still do, the the Boy Scout versus the Green Beret. Mm-hmm. And the Boy Scout is prepared by virtue of having all the gear and having everything ready. And the Green Beret is just prepared by virtue of who he is. And when I introduced it to him a long time ago, I was like, hey, which, which guy do you want to go camping with? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because there's no right or wrong answer. Some right. people go, I want the Boy Scout because he's got all the gear. He's got everything that we'd possibly need. And then there's the Green Beret who could kill a bear with a blade of grass. Right. You know, yeah. Just know like, yeah, we're going to be cool. And it's a spectrum, right? You can feel more Green Beret, like, I'm good. I got the no problem. Let's go. Let's go camping. Right. But if it's going to rain, bring a freaking poncho. Yeah. Don't be an idiot, Green Beret. Be a smart one. Be a little bit of voice. Be a little bit of both. 
Yeah. So I, I think that idea about hypervigilance, it served us for a long time because that rain that we experienced, that trauma, you know, we want to be protected. But to constantly go around in that state of hypervigilance and protection puts us in that fight or flight state of alert. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Exactly. And I think that you just made me think of this moment in the session where he talks about being at the Grove. And mm -hmm. I really like what you said and about his experience and, and how it's like being authentic and all that stuff. But what I heard that, that wasn't talked about in the session to me was this idea of presence mm. being necessary for joy and being necessary for the word that comes to mind is like serenity. But I, what I mean is like, I'm sitting here being hypervigilant. I'm looking at every single corner in this room that can hurt me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm hypervigilant in a crowd in that maybe I'm looking to see who might hurt me if I'm feeling anxious or right. if I'm Where's feeling- Where's the exit? How do I get out of right. here? What, right. If I'm not anxious, maybe I'm thinking, oh, is that person cute? Do I like this? Oh, mm. oh, I wonder what they're doing. Are they having fun? Are they enjoying themselves? It's constantly in a state of outside of me. Right. And what he noted that I was like, oh, yeah, I relate hard to that is feeling this sense of being settled yeah. and being able to sit at the party and watch the party and not be like, right. oh, is everyone having fun? Is, that, is, is there enough dip for the <laughs> chips? Is there enough? Should I go speak to so-and-so? They look lonely. Right. And instead, you're sitting there and being, and this is more on the people-pleasing side of things, too, but being able to sit and just enjoy yeah, and smile. And like you said, feel that sense of community from a place of not feeling activated, not feeling like you're looking for the corners or you're looking for the, the bad things or even looking for the, the deficits. Right. Like you talked in this episode about disappointing people. Yeah. And what that means and how Drew said he wasn't happy unless people were happy. And, and if they weren't disappointed, that was fine. But like he needs them to be what's the opposite of disappointment, maybe approval. Yeah. And, and it's I think almost the opposite of disappointment in that sense is just status quo. It's just OK. Yeah. It doesn't have to be joyful. It's just not disappointed, mm -hmm. not harmful, not unsafe predictable, mm -hmm. whatever that is. So, so we look for that and we try to create that thinking that's what's going to give us that inner calm. But you're, you're right and very astute. Like he was finding that, starting to find that in himself instead of looking for it hypervigilantly mm -hmm. <laughs> outside of himself. Really like in the David Foster Wallace quote, just that idea, know thyself. Like once you start being that calm, being that person, being okay, then you really are okay. And it's not dependent on how other people are reacting or responding to you. You can just be you. Sounds a lot easier than it is. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> just be you. Like, right. done, job done. End Easy. of session. <laughs> yeah. Therapy over. You've graduated. Yeah. You're done. All you right. have to do is be you. What are you doing? Stop it. Right. But yeah, it's it definitely is a struggle because like what comes to mind is moments in my life where I've wanted so desperately to have that experience that Drew had of looking around, feeling a sense of community, looking at like the Grand Canyon and I'm with friends and, and the sun is rising. And I remember thinking this should be peaceful. I should be like mm. feeling God right now. And right. all I could think about was how my friends were experiencing the moment and mm. what we were going to make for breakfast. And if I needed to get more eggs, because maybe I didn't get enough eggs <laughs> right. and I couldn't right. get out of it. And so yeah feeling settled in yourself, you can't just flip a switch because what happens with codependency is it's not just a matter of, oh, I'm just so used to focusing on other people. And, and like, you know, very well, it is an avoidance of giving myself a space in the car. I'm just so used to telling everyone, oh yeah, no, I have a seat and right. not right. saying, no, 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 this seat is for me. Like I need to save a seat for myself. Right. Like that whole oxygen mask thing that I'm sure you've heard, like make sure you put oh, on. I say it all the time. Right. On the airplane, put the mask on yourself first, then the other person. So you can help other people. Right. In the mind of codependence, in the mind of people who are people pleasers or overfunctioners, or the sort of dark side of that is like not feeling their own sense of worth. Mm -hmm. There's this mechanism that's like, yeah, but 
I can hold my breath real good. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. I have to put on my mask to help other people, but I can hold my breath really like for at least like 30 seconds. And in that 30 seconds, I'm sure I could help a lot of people. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, look at how good I'm doing for everybody else. Yeah. And that makes me good. Yeah. That's where I find it. So that's what I'll keep doing. And I'm rewarded for that either by virtue of nobody's disappointed or they're actually approving of me and I, I get that validation. So I'll keep doing that. That feels good. It is about being present or being mindful and mindful in a way where your mind's not full of stuff. Mm-hmm. You're just aware of what's what's there and your mm-hmm. own mind. Another metaphor that I use with clients is like thinking about waiting until everyone served themselves. Right. And then being like, no, 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 it's fine. I'll, I'll go last. And then, and then there's no food left. And you're like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I actually am not even that hungry. And you might even <laughs> convince yourself that you're not hungry. And then there's no seats left. And you're like, oh, it's fine. I actually been sitting all day. Like I'm down to stand. Right. And then you're standing there and everyone's having a great fucking time eating their food and, and laughing and, and enjoying the nutrient meal that you provided for <laughs> right. them. And that does something to you because even though you can feel proud of that, there's a resentment that can brew for other people that, and it's mm-hmm. not really their fault. It's like, you kind of did this. There's a resentment and there's this sense of like, maybe I'm just not that important. And I love that you talked about sort of visiting home for the holidays in this yeah. because so many people struggle with that. And like, whether it be guilt tripping moms or families who are like, what are you talking about? It's Thanksgiving. You have to be here. Of course, that's what we do. What are yeah. you talking about? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And that disappointment for someone who has so focused most of their life on avoiding disappointment mm-hmm. is terrifying. Right. It feels like, like you said, abandonment. This exactly. will inevitably lead to abandonment. This feels like a life or death situation. Right. And having those first few experiences of allowing someone to be disappointed in you Mm -hmm. and then it being okay and teaching your brain that you're like being able to go, oh, I just did a a hard thing. (laughs) Right. Right. Cut to Drew, who we're more than a year into his therapy and he's looking at potentially going home for the holidays and okay with his mom being disappointed. Mm Mm-hmm. And not taking that on as a failure of him or an abandonment. And there's often a fine line between abandonment and individuality. Mm -hmm. He and I have talked about being alone versus being lonely. You can be alone and that can be a strength. Being lonely, we don't like. We don't like that feeling. And if you associate the two, then it leans toward abandonment. Being alone, being lonely, it's the same thing for you. It's abandoned. It's no, it's a negative. Right. When you have that sense of individuality, that strengthen yourself when you're carving those new trails and and seeing that you can do the hard things and it actually feels good to be yourself. That's where he's starting to be. And that's what he's saying when he's like, yeah, it's cool. And then she guilt tripped me. (laughs) Then she called again and was like, oh, are you really like, in a sense, he's like, hey, I'm my own person. Mm -hmm. I hear that you're disappointed. That's your disappointment. Mm -hmm. It's hard to also then start to decipher what is avoiding disappointment and what is just being a thoughtful human being. Uh, Right? Right. So it's like the pendulum swings sometimes when someone's trying to unlearn codependency or unlearn people pleasing. Right. They'll go all the other way and they'll be like, screw that. (laughs) I don't need to do anything for anyone else. This is my life. Right. If you're disappointed, that's on you, man. And then then it's about sort of relearning how to be healthy, <laughs> <A> nice <person. laughs> supportive, nice person. Right. right? And right. to acknowledge that you can say like, hey, I know this is important to you, but know that like it's not out of lack of love that I'm not coming home for the holidays. It's just that it's important to me to share it with this person or to see their family or to do X, Y, Z. But then like you said, explanation over explanation too. And I can imagine that he probably wants his mom to understand, right? Right. right. What it is that he's trying to do. Like, cause that's, that's the instinct I want to sort of explain myself to right. my girlfriend and, and say all of these unsaid things so that there's no stone left unturned so that I feel like, well, there's, there's no misunderstanding that could ever happen <laughs> right. when really like 
<laughs> you can't tell the person you're trying to individuate from that you're trying to individuate from them and expect them to go, that's really wonderful. Right. I'm so glad that, you know what, <laughs> I'll just see you next year for next holiday. It's right. fine. You, you take however long you need to become yourself. Exactly. And it, it's right. And that is the, the new and different is often uncomfortable and it, yeah. it's, it's the learning curve. We might hope, but we can't expect that somebody is going to celebrate that we're doing this. Like, mm-hmm. oh, wonderful. That's, oh, and you're doing this through therapy. You're becoming this evolved person. It's, that's so amazing. I'm so proud of you. Like, okay, that might not happen. What we can do is just say, hey, I'm in this space where I'm kind of just trying to take care of myself. I don't know how it's going to sound or play out, but this is where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. The pendulum will kind of go back and forth. And it's, it's finding that not singular center point, but that middle place where it can just oscillate a little bit in that middle zone. I give clients permission a lot to sound like an asshole, not to be an asshole, but to sound like one, because to move the pendulum from the side of caretaking others and being codependent, to move it off of that zone, even just a little bit, often feels like just being such an asshole to people Mm -hmm. when it's not. Right. Boundaries to people who don't have boundaries. And I can say from personal experience, when you first <laughs> learn what a, a real boundary sounds like, right. my instinct was like, that's so fucking mean. That is so mean. Right. Right. How can I ever say that to my mom, my boyfriend, my friend? That sounds terrible. That sounds like right. a wall, really, instead of what it really is, which is a, a line in the sand. Just letting the people close to you know, you're, you're kind of figuring this out and, and you're trying trying out boundaries for a while and... And some people will, will kind of push back and be like, oh, really? You're like yeah. that now? Oh, so it's like that, right? I'm like, yeah, it is for right now. I'm a huge fan of showing the process of telling our partners, telling our friends when you're learning boundaries or you're learning a new behavior to say, to be able to just say outright, like, this is weird for me to say, or this might come out wrong because I'm just trying it for the first time and boundaries are weird for me. And so tell me how you feel when I say this thing that I'm about to say, or after saying it, if you're like that, that sounded mean, you can just say, my brain is telling me that that sounded mean, right? but I'm wondering how it sounded for you. And usually it's like, no, I I didn't think that sounded mean. I think it sounded like you're asking for what you want. I mean, that's the very definition of self-awareness, being aware of your process yourself and then letting others in on that a little bit in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Once you start doing it, once you've moved those rocks and boulders and trees, and it it just becomes so much easier, almost second nature. But the nature to begin with for some people has been erring on the side of I will sacrifice my own well-being for other people's so they won't be disappointed. So they won't abandon me. And that usually works in terms of they won't abandon you. But then what happened to you? Mm -hmm. It is a a relearning or a learning for the first time of of how to draw those lines in the sand, how how to do that, how to say that, how to navigate that with the people close to you. And if they are the people close to you, hopefully they will support that. Right. Also, another thing that I feel like is integrated in this and that came up in the session is this idea of even having needs to begin with. Mm. One way of kids coping with not having their needs met is to just not have needs because then you don't (laughs) get your needs met. And that's often the case with like children in alcoholic families or children in families with really inconsistent parenting or, or personality disorders or any crisis or chaos, chaos, right? Oh, certainly. And that, It's like, well, if I just don't have hunger, then it doesn't matter that I don't get anything to eat. Or if I, that's, that's an extreme example. But what I mean is like, if I just decide that I don't need a lot of physical touch, because then it's like no big deal that I don't get it. Exactly. Yeah. When it is at the end of the day, maybe very important to that person, but our brains are powerful, like adaptive things. And if we're not getting that extremely important thing, we'll just be like, okay, uh, don't need it. <laughs> right. Right. And and we learn that, okay, I don't need it. And I will keep going with that in mind. And I will be rewarded for mm-hmm. being very self-sufficient. I can do things. I can excel. And a lot of people like, oh, no, I can't rely on anybody to do anything for me. I'll do it myself. 
And it's a big part of it is I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be abandoned. I don't want to be let down. So to guard against that, I will do it all myself. And the more I do it myself, the more I'm rewarded, the more I excel for some, not all. And then great. There's, there's a positive feedback loop for something that is actually a deficit. And then we, we don't realize it until at some point in our lives, we go, Hey, I haven't really had this need met in a long time. Mm -hmm. And when it starts getting met, it's going to bring up a lot of that initial abandonment and yeah. the fears and right. You're, you're nodding like, uh-huh. Yeah. And we see it all the time and we experience it. When that's really confusing too, because you're like, oh, this is getting met though, finally. And this is good. This is good, right? Why do I feel so like, Because it, it's scary. It's good. And I don't ever want it to go away and it might go away. How do mm -hmm. I keep it here and, and not shove it away? And it's not, we can't control everything. In fact, we control pretty much nothing. Yeah. And when we learn that, then we actually can just relax and be ourselves. But we try to control so much and we try to keep things from disappointing us, from hurting us. And that's a protective mechanism. We need to do that. It's mm -hmm. not like, oh, he, he messed up by starting out this way. He should have been different. Like, not at all. A lot of it serves us for a time until it doesn't. And I think in, in relationships for him and where he's been in relationships with family, with girlfriends... He's really learning like, oh, wow, I've sacrificed so many different parts of myself for different things. I really want to just take care of myself. And if people aren't used to that or are disappointed in that, it's not an abandonment. It's their thing. And I'm okay with that. We all create our systems, right? So like, I remember when I decided I was going to stop hosting parties because I wasn't having any fun because I was <laughs> so focused on right. everyone else. I thought, okay, well, this is it. My friends are never going to see each other again because if I'm not hosting, no one will. And lo and behold, there were about six months where no one saw each other. Right. And then someone figured it out because I realized part of my mechanism, and I think I hear this in Drew as well, is if I have the capacity to do it, I should just do it. And so by not doing this extra thing, by not taking on the hosting and the planning, I thought that no one else was going to. But what I didn't realize is that by always being that person, I wasn't even allowing anyone to try. Right. I wasn't even allowing anyone to go, you know what? I've always wanted to plan a party, but Jennifer was always doing it. So I just like didn't. Right. And instead it just became, I got to attend parties. I got to attend yeah. And sit back like the way that Drew was talking about being in that market, just being able to enjoy without feeling like responsible or that I had to be a part of everyone's enjoyment. Yeah. And that being not just okay, but feeling like more authentic and more whole and more congruent because I think that it's not just about like not focusing on other people, but obviously like Drew is focusing on himself for maybe the first time in most of his life, yeah. being able to have a loving relationship with himself where he's getting his needs met. He's seeing himself as a real person and not just a sort of side dish. He's like a real <laughs> right. person. Like, right. and one of the quotes that I thought about when it came to disappointing was from a book called untamed by Glennon Doyle. Uh -huh. And she's talking to her daughter, the summary, and this is the actual quote, is your job throughout your life is to disappoint as many people as it takes to avoid disappointing yourself. Mm. Yeah. Because you have to live with you. You're the one on your deathbed reviewing your life. And you're not going to say, man, I lived my life great for my mom. Right. That's not how it works. We're not here to make other people comfortable. We're not here to serve. Yeah. I mean, we are as therapists yes. for 50 minutes an hour, right? But it's, I think what you're getting at too is that idea of it is your life and you can take ownership of it. And if other people are disappointed, that's their disappointment. You're not going to go out there to disappoint other people. It's not about like, let me disappoint no. people. Let me let yeah. them down. What you're talking about and what the Glennon Doyle quote is about don't disappoint yourself. That's mm -hmm. the one thing you can control. You can't control other people's feeling disappointment. And what's great is disappointment. That, that's a feeling. Let other people have their feelings. We can't control their feelings. Let them have it and let them process it the way they do. And maybe they'll even voice it. And if they voice it and say, wow, you really disappointed me there. 
okay, I, I hear you. Mm-hmm. Sorry that you felt that. I just needed to take care of myself here. And the heaviness with Drew is that the the weight of feeling as if disappointment from his mom is not just disappointment, it's her suicidality, right? right but right. but the irony, like those finger traps, right, is that the more you sort of pull, the more stuck you get. And the reason why I bring that up is that like the more he focuses on her feeling valid and making sure that she feels loved and cared for, the more he dedicates his mental capacity towards her and other people and not valuing himself and not doing things for himself, being hypervigilant, the more weight there is. And Mm. like, it's like any of us could die tomorrow. And if I put so much of my value in making sure that you were always happy with me. Mm -hmm. um, As well you should. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) But that my value would be so inextricably tied with you wanting to be here. If you were to decide that you didn't want to live anymore and you killed yourself. And I, I felt like that burden was on me. And you have talked about this in session with, with Drew then of course I would feel like that was like I had something to do with it and I could have stopped it as opposed to, and this is, this is weird that I'm correlating it, but essentially we're talking about disappointment and disappointment is inherently like in my mind, an expectation of others that, that is not met. And so we're disappointed in them or disappointed Mm -hmm. in a situation. It has to do with other things or disappointed in ourselves. We're not doing something, but feeling like you're disappointing a parent and feeling like that pull away Mm -hmm. is scary because then if she does the ultimate pull away of take your own life, then that would be like he failed. Right. And that's the great lesson is that none of us can change anyone's mind about their own life. None of us can live for anyone else. I didn't choose to be here. I did not ask to be born. I did not ask to be born mm. and neither did Drew. So right. he's only responsible for him in that way. I mean, sure. his life is not to serve the one who created him. And I think that that's, that's scary because parents are like the ultimate boss in the Nintendo game. Like when we, <laughs> when we want to individuate, we might be able to do it fine with everything else in our lives. But when it comes to our moms or our dads or whoever like had the biggest hand in raising you, sometimes that can feel like that's impossible. I think a lot of what you're talking about is trying to find some purpose in life. And for some, they make their purpose external, like others. Yep. Right. And that's, and I joke that, well, that's what we do for a living. We serve others. Right. That's our job. But doing that across the board for other people, when it sacrifices your own life, yeah. we're missing something. And that, that's what you don't want to wind up doing. You want to be able to live your life because that's the one you have. And that's the only one you have any sense of control over. And I say sense of control because we even, we don't have that much control over that either. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a lot of what he's coming to and recognizing as he's individuating and, and being himself and feeling the sort of where the codependence has been and being able to break that and being okay with that. And then seeing how, oh, mom might be codependent or dependent on him and he doesn't have to take that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to go there. He can be interdependent and mm-hmm. give her the opportunity to do that too. If she doesn't take it, that's on her. I'm not a supporting character in your movie, and that's it. I have my own movie that I'm the lead actor in, so here's where that is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'll overlap, and I'll make a cameo in yours or support yours, sure, and vice versa, but it's got to be my life. I love that he's really coming to this himself. I mean, yes, I'm I'm guiding him, we're doing it, but he's he's doing it and experiencing it in his relationships, which is what you guys heard in this session, which I thought was great in his evolution. Yeah. And being honest with his girlfriend in a way that is not just honest for the sake of honesty, but to be authentic and to be able to say the unsaid, to feel like he's learning to trust himself Mm -hmm. and he's actually no relearning what trust means. Yeah. Because when you're coming from hypervigilance, there's this inherent like lack of trust in a lot of things and people and places and stuff. Yeah, guarding against mistrust and distrust 
isn't actually trust. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Trust involves an acceptance and a, and a letting go of sorts, right? Yeah. I'm big on metaphors. And one thing that what? I think, I know, crazy, right? Therapist, metaphors, but floating. So if you've ever watched a kid try to learn how to float in a pool, it's hilarious, right? Because <laughs> the, the instructor's like, put your hands out, stick your chest out. And they, and they, look, they look like they're usually struggling. They like put their arms out, like all straight. And they like puff their chests out. And then inevitably they sort of like sink. Drop. And they're like, yeah. I don't get it. You're telling me to like relax. Right. And this water can kill me. And, and then I end up coughing up water. And it's just like traumatic. Yeah. When yeah. really the whole beauty and magic of floating is that you have to both trust in your body to relax and do its thing. And you have to trust that the water is going to keep you up, that the, right. the water will carry you, that, right. the, that it won't just suck you in. And you have to trust in the process. You don't have to know every type of like physics that yeah, is involved. Buoyancy in, says this and I'll be this exactly. and this will happen. And, in fact, and you'll probably it. sink if you start thinking about that. <laughs> but you have to like trust and accept that it will be okay. And I think in relationships, especially in romantic relationships, it's like we can never know. Sure. But trusting sometimes is this like, huh? I guess we're trying to float. I guess we're floating together, maybe side by side, holding hands. And if something bad happens, that doesn't negate everything. Right. It just means that, oops, there was a wave that came and... Yeah, and, and got water in my nose and yeah. in my ears and like, that'll happen. And I might sink a little bit, but overall, I'm going to float. I might, you know, bob up and down a little bit. And it's, yeah, it's just feeling that and getting used to that and experience that. And if your experience has been somebody threw you into the water and mm -hmm. you did crash in yeah. you know, and you're making that face that cringed up, like, yeah. right, right, that could be traumatic. Yeah. So, oh, float out, float here in this pool. No, water is scary. I'm not going to do it. You know, we have to relearn and experience and it takes a little while and, and could take therapy. And that, that's why we get into that. And it is a big risk mm -hmm. to trust, to trust again, mm -hmm. to learn trust when it's been broken. And his has been broken a lot in his life. And he's, he's starting to trust himself. Right. And that's where it all begins. It begins with when you trust yourself, then you can draw the line in the sand, have that boundary, right. say, here's what I'm okay with. And that comes with knowing yourself, trusting yourself and, and really owning that and feeling that. And we're starting to see him really put that into action and practice yeah. by going, yeah, I'm not coming home for Thanksgiving this year. Which is huge. Yeah. Part of that, being able to draw the line in the sand, being able to trust is like not just feeling those moments of like, oh, is this what it feels like to feel like I'm a valid human? Is this what it feels like to, <laughs> right, right. is this what it feels like to trust myself? And, and I think that if there's also anyone listening, that's like, damn it, I want that too. It doesn't like, it doesn't just switch and happen. Right. And then you're, that's it. You can go back to say you're floating in the water. Finally, you're like, oh my God, I'm doing it. Right. I'm doing it. Yes, this is <laughs> it. And then suddenly you're like, oh shit, I'm thinking about it too much. And then you, then right. you're in your body and then you tense up and then you start sinking a little bit and then you get scared and nervous and you're like, are there sharks in this right. ocean? And or swimming pool. Or yeah. I was suddenly in the ocean because I'm such like a California kid. Well, I, have, I, I have the the irrational fear of sharks. Okay, in the so let's pool stay in the at pool at night. Oh, oh. <laughs> at night, if you go underwater in a swimming pool, there will be a shark there. Yeah, no, definitely. That's yeah. where they put them um, to for storage. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely like not always, not even not always. It's usually not like a switch that you can just flip. It's, it's sometimes it's just going to come in like moments of clarity. And sometimes you're going to be like, Oh, okay. I didn't trust myself in that situation. Or I didn't, I'm feeling resentment or anger towards this person. And Oh shit. That's because I didn't put a boundary that right. I should have. I, I let it be a feather that changed the weight of the whole bag. Right. Yeah. And, and it's forward progress has setbacks, two steps forward, one step back. 
one yeah, step forward, linear. two steps back. Yeah. Like, uh, okay. Sometimes it's like a whole circle dance. <laughs> right. You know, it's not even right. forward and back. It's like absolutely side to side. And then you That's do right. the shuffle. What is the one, the, the electric slide? Oh, right. It's, oh yeah. Nice. Therapy is more like an electric slide. It's a little to the side, some That's right. shuffling. That's right. It's the ultimate wedding dance. <laughs> <laughs> no one understands the instructions and yet we're all just trying to keep up. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I know I keep saying these quotes, but... No, give us another one. I love these. There's another one. This has to do with him becoming his authentic self in a relationship, not mm. just with himself, but with a romantic partner with his girlfriend. Sure. And I saw this yesterday as I was re-listening to the session, and I was like, of course I'm saying this quote today. Hmm. And it, the quote is, perhaps the biggest mistake I made in the past was that I believed love was about finding the right person. In reality, love is about becoming the right person. Yeah. Don't look for the person you want to spend your life with. Become the person you want to spend your life with. Yeah. And that's Neil Strauss, which is ironic because he wrote the game (laughs) game, and it's like, (laughs) oh, turns out he was wrong. It turns out it made it really hard for him to be in a relationship. But the author of the quote, regardless, it just, I think that it reminded me that the more you feel settled in yourself, the more able you are to, like it's that RuPaul thing. Like if you don't love yourself, you can't love anyone else. If you don't have space for you in you. There's no space for anyone else. Yeah. And it's such a cliche, but cliches are cliches because they're usually true. I mean, yeah, I I think it's cheesy, but I often say to myself and my friends, you're the love of your life. Yeah. And some people are like, that's depressing. I'm like, well, fix it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you don't like this relationship. Work on it right. because you're stuck with you for the rest of your life. So how, how do you want that to be? Right. And I'll, I'll spin it this way because Drew and I have said this too, that if you do know who you are and you love yourself and you're the, you're the one you're going to spend your life with and you show that in a relationship, then that person can actually see you. If you're just being who you think they want to see mm-hmm. or who's going to get them to not leave, you're not being your true self, your authentic self. And I can tell you from both clinical and personal experience, that other person will feel it. Oh, yeah. And it's lonely and isolating because from that end, it feels like, wait, gosh, I'm in a relationship and I'm getting all my needs met and they're very thoughtful and sensitive. (laughs) But like, why do I feel so alone? It's because there's no there there. There's no person there. No substance, yeah. They're just giving you what they think you want to see. And we really crave authenticity. I mean, we crave flavor. If we didn't, we would just be living in that future version where we all just like eat cubes that taste like things. But like, we like the experience of the flaws and the flavor and the, we don't want to know everything. Right. And partnership is, is definitely one of those things that, yeah, you could, you could be the perfect quote unquote, perfect boyfriend or perfect girlfriend. Mm -hmm. That's not going to be fun for you. And also it's not going to feel good for the other person. So just do yourself a favor and skip that bit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Stop it. As therapists say, stop it. Don't do that. Sometimes easier said than done, but that's, uh, you know, we practice, we practice and we, we, we get there eventually and getting there. Isn't like, ah, there, I'm finally there. No, it's, it's that ongoing process. And when you, when you are yourself, when you bring that to other people, the reward is amazing. Mm -hmm. It's people actually seeing you for who you are, your authenticity, you, and it feels great. Yeah. And we don't need that, but it's nice to have it. It's nice to have it and it feels connected. And I think that it gives more space for joy Mm. and feeling all the good stuff in life, right? It just, it gives you more space. Yeah. Once you acknowledge that you're a completely imperfect, flawed human who does, does it right some of the times and does it not right, but that feels authentic some of the times and feels maybe sleepy and mopey the other times <laughs> that's okay because if you're just letting yourself be and that's this is like a whole other thing about acceptance <laughs> but acceptance doesn't mean approval acceptance can be Ooh, nice line 
It doesn't. Where, where'd that quote come from? <laughs> Let's put that one on a t-shirt. That was great. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. And that's more from my experience with 12 step yep. programs, yep. which is like, I'm not saying I accept this to be my life for the rest of my life. And I, I approve that this, this is okay. Acceptance is this is what's happening right now. It is what it is. Yeah. And, and it's right. We talk about radical acceptance. It is what it is. It leaves room for not being in control and not controlling and being present and feeling that joy. Yeah. Well, I got to say, it's been a joy talking to you and connecting with you authentically. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so happy to be here and to get to be a part of this. I think that I'm a big fan, you know, Aww. like I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure all of this is getting cut and we'll yeah, go back yeah. to Meredith. Like, yeah, no totally. Problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. You could become a fixture. Yeah, we'll, right. We'll see we'll what see. happens. Okay, Doug. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of fruit is your favorite? What right. kind of flowers can I send? No. Right? Um, well, thank you very much. And guys out there, I will talk to you next week and you will quite possibly hear from Jen again. Thanks for joining us, Jen. Thank you. Thank you.